My husband has a hard time identifying strangers. You probably would too, especially if your eyes were closed. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. I am known by God. He knows me better than I know myself. God doesn't simply know what it's like to be me. He knows me, the real me, the true me, the me he created. I am me because God made me and I am who God says that I am. Well, it might be seem maybe a little self-focused to think about this at first, that God knows me. Hang in there. It's not. Even though I just said me probably 18 times right there. Knowing who God says we are and living the life that God has intended for us to live is an act of worship to him. C.S. Lewis wrote about this, about the importance of knowing that God knows us in The Voyage of the Dawn Shredder. In this story, just super briefly, Emin and Lucy and their cousin Eustace are sailing together on a ship. Eustace starts out super annoying and irritating. In fact, at the very beginning of the story, he's described by Lewis like this. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. And later, Eustace Clarence liked animals, especially beetles, if they were dead and pinned on a card. In the story, there's a moment when Eustace goes into the cave of a dragon because he wants to steal all of the treasures. But instead of that happening, he ends up being turned into a dragon. Oops. Eventually, he's saved by a huge line that turns him back. But he's not just turned back into the same person he was. He's transformed. He apologizes for acting, as he calls it, pretty beastly. And he begins to act in a better way. When Eustace talks to Edmund about his transformation, he asks him, what do you know about Aslan? Who's the lion who in this allegory represents God himself? Edmund's answer to Eustace's question of, but who is Aslan? Do you know him? His answer was, well, he knows me. He is the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea who saved me. God knows us. He knows you. He never mixes us up with someone else. When he hears our prayers, he's never thinking, wait, who is it who just said that? I have twin sons. People were constantly getting them mixed up. They're not even identical twins, but they do look a lot alike. People stop all the time and ask, are you guys twins? Happened just last week, they told me. People who kind of know them might say, hello, Mr. King, which they've heard their whole entire life, which is actually a huge tell signifying I have no idea which specific person I'm talking to right now. People used to ask me, do you ever get it mixed up? Especially when they were first born. They were very concerned about that. I didn't. I was actually concerned about that too. I didn't get it mixed up. And I kept our hospital bracelets on them for a while just to make sure. And then I'd test myself. I scored 100 every single time and eventually felt confident I can cut these bracelets off. My husband, Kenny, could tell them apart too. He never got them mixed up either. But he didn't recognize the stranger. Let me set the scene for you. Our family was on vacation on Sanibel Island in Florida, which is gorgeous. Kenny's parents have a place down there on the beach, and we were able to go there twice as a family. It was lovely. 
The first time we were there, our twins, Kenny and Danny, were seven. Greta was five and Timothy was three. The weather was gorgeous. We would spend hours looking for shells on the beach, and then we'd go back to our place and try to identify them, comparing them to the shell book that we had brought. We rode bikes to the Shell Museum and watched a video that completely changed how I saw shells for the rest of my life. I was a little creeped out by all these little creatures inhabiting these shells. One morning, Danny thought he found a really interesting shell buried in the shallow part of the ocean underneath the sand, and he started digging. And as he dug further, he realized this wasn't a shell at all. It was a pair of sunglasses. In fact, I still have them. He had unearthed a pair of Ray-Bans with a black frame and like mother of pearl shell-colored temples. Each evening, our family and Kenny's mom and dad, we'd all go out to eat together, either on Sanibel or Captiva Islands. It was fabulous. We loved the mucky duck and the bubble room, and one of our family favorites was the Timbers. They're known for their Parmesan-crusted sea bass and crab bisque and their New England clam chowder. That one was Timothy's favorite. I'm not sure why exactly, but he loved him some creamy clam chowder as this little three-year-old. That night at dinner, we had all ordered and eaten, and we were thinking about leaving for the evening. The wait staff came. They began to thin out our dirty dinner dishes to make room for coffee cups and perhaps a slice of key lime pie. We were reliving our day and our conversation and enjoying our visit when out of nowhere, Timothy just let out a cry. I was sitting right next to him, and I had no idea what happened. He was out of control. He was crying that hold your breath and make no noise until you just let out a loud scream kind of cry. I picked him up out of his high chair, but didn't help. (laughs) I walked him out of the restaurant for the sake of all the other diners, and I sat down with him on a bench. I looked him in the eyes, and I asked, Timothy, honey, are you hurt? I was starting to wonder if maybe he gotten burned when the table was getting cleared and maybe some coffee that was being poured dripped on him or something. He shook his head no, and then his crying started to subside a little bit. I asked him, what's wrong, honey? What happened? And then he says between sobs, that lady took my soup. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I hugged him. I told him, well, let's see if we can get it back. We went back into the restaurant, and in no time, our server was right by our side. She asked if he was okay. I told her, he's just fine. He actually... I said, still apparently had a couple of bites left of his chowder when you cleared your his bowl, and he would like it back if that's okay. He wasn't quite done with it. She apologized profusely, and then the chef came out with a fresh bowl and this huge smile. He had heard the crying earlier, which that's not, like, remarkable. Everybody heard the crying earlier, but now he wanted to meet this little three-year-old boy that loved his chowder that much. So he not only came with a fresh bowl, he gave us some to take home as well. Besides looking for shells and going out for dinner, we also loved playing in the pools of Casa Ibel, which is where we would go. The older ones were a little bit more adept at swimming, so we'd spend time in the bigger pools, but we would all also go with Timothy to the smaller kiddie pool too, the pool that Timothy called the cat pool, because instead of hearing us say kitty like K-I-D-D-I-E, he thought we were saying kitty like K-I-T-T-Y, so he'd talk about the cat pool all the time. I didn't correct it. It was just so cute. Timothy, if you're listening, it's actually kiddie pool. So there you go. (laughs) To make that experience a little more fun for the older kids, Kenny and I would often sit in the pool with the kids and play Marco Polo. Just made it more fun. We had to add a little twist, though, to the game because the pool was so small and there were so many of us that it wasn't that hard to catch each other. In case you're unfamiliar with the pool game Marco Polo, it looks like this. One person's it, 
They have to, and they have to close their eyes and they intermittently call out Marco. And then everyone else in the pool responds with Polo. And hearing their responses, then the person who was it can move toward the voice and would try to tag whoever said it. Once they tag them in regular Marco Polo, that person would be it next. In our family version, in our kiddie pool version, you were required to guess who you tagged to make it a little bit more difficult. If you guessed correctly, they were it. If, however, after you guessed and you opened your eyes and you were wrong, you would remain it until you could guess correctly. We played this for quite a while. One time, my husband Kenny was it. So he was a, kind of crawling on the ground, yelling, Marco, climbing in the pool here. Then he had these little polo voices. He was having trouble catching them. This continued for a while. Marco, the dad would call out, polo, the kids would answer. And then... Once, right after Kenny yelled Marco and the kids yelled Polo, he turned to go toward the voice of one, but inadvertently tagged another. He grabbed this kid and started with his, hmm, I wonder who this is. And he grabbed their ears and then he felt their nose. And I started laughing. I was, I was laughing so hard I could hardly breathe and I couldn't say anything. You see, well, Kenny had his eyes closed, Another family had come to the kiddie pool and their little child had hopped into the water. But Kenny didn't know that. I actually didn't notice either until Kenny was holding some stranger's child in his arms and was feeling his ears and his nose and his mouth. And I couldn't talk. And I was getting more and more nervous. And this poor little child was looking wide-eyed and our kids had all stopped dead in their tracks and their mouths were open, but they weren't saying anything either. Finally, I was able to kind of half laugh, yell, shout out, stop, he's not our kid. <laughs> Kenny opened his eyes and the look on his face, and then he pushed his kid away from him like it was a kid's fault that he'd been grabbed by a stranger and was being mauled in the pool. I found his mom and I started to explain like how and why our family had changed the rules to Marco Polo. And she was very gracious. She started to laugh and said, don't worry about it. I did worry about it a little, but I also laughed, and apparently I'm still laughing about it. <laughs> Why this story? Here's the deal. Our Heavenly Father could grab any one of his children in this world, his eyes closed, and identify them spot on. Seriously, though. <laughs> Seriously, he knows you. He knows what makes you laugh. He knows what makes us cry. He knows what you think and how you feel about all the subjects. He knows what things tempt you to sin, and he knows how to free you from poor patterns and unhealthy habits. He knows the things that make you laugh until you can't stop, and he knows the things that you wish you could just stop. He knows you. He knows what hurts your feelings and has wounded your heart. He knows what brings you pain and brings you pleasure. He not only knows these things about you, he understands the why and the what for and the how come. He knows you, the real you, because he made you and he loves you. Psalm 139 tells us this. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's full of the knowledge that God has knowledge of us. Lord, the psalmist starts, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You, you know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. 
Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would number the grains of sand. When I wake up, I'm still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked. The bloodthirsty men stay away from me. Who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them. I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and then lead me in the everlasting way. Do you hear the depth of the love and knowledge of God? Do you hear that he created you and he has numbered your days? He knows the extent of them. God loves and understands the you that you were created to be and the you that you someday will be when you can freely enjoy his presence without the presence of sin. In the meantime, while we wait for this glorious reality, we grow and we learn. We grow in our relationship with God. It might seem one-sided as we don't reveal anything to him that he doesn't know already, but we always learn more about who he is and he will always reveal to us more about who he has created us to be. I know today I started with C.S. Lewis, then I jumped to a goofy story, then I read a psalm. And if I were to say now I wanted to look for a minute at a poem by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, would you think I lost my mind? I'm afraid I might throw you all off, but I do. I do want to look at a poem by Dietrich Bonhoeffer because he has written something so beautiful on this subject. I want you all to hear it. For those of you unaware, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who was very vocal in his criticism the Nazis. He's criticized euthanasia of other humans and Jewish persecution. He was arrested by the Gestapo in April 1943 with a group of others for planning and plotting the assassination of Hitler. He was tried and later he was executed on April 9th, 1945. He spent his final years imprisoned and in a concentration camp. In 1944, one year before he was executed, he wrote a poem entitled, Who Am I? I want to read you a translated version of this poem. Who am I? They often tell me, I step out from my cell, composed, contented, and sure, like a lord from his manor. Who am I? They often tell me, I speak with my jailers frankly, firm, familiar and firm as though I was in command. Who am I? They also tell me, I bear the days of hardship, unconcerned, amused, and proud like one who usually wins. Am I really what others tell me? 
Or am I only what I myself know of me? Troubled, homesick, ill, like a bird in a cage, gasping for breath as though being strangled, hungering for colors, for flowers, for songs of birds, thirsting for kind words, for human company, quivering with anger at despotism and petty insults, anxiously waiting for great events, helplessly worrying about friends far away, empty and tired of praying, of thinking, of working, exhausted and ready to bid farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I then this today and the other tomorrow? Am I both at the same time? In public, a hypocrite and by myself a contemptible whining weakling? Or am I to myself like a beaten army flying in disorder from a victory already won? Who am I? Lonely questions mock me. Who I really am? You know me. I am yours, oh God. That last line, that last line in the German language, which Bonhoeffer would have written, is this. bin, du kennst mich. Dein bin ich, oh God. As his language, he wrote that. This man, this man imprisoned, this man wrestling through, who am I? We are who God says that we are. What a gift this poem is to us. Written by a man long ago undergoing great persecution because of his desire to do what was right. A poem written by a man who understood who we are is not what people say or think. Who we are is not what we even say or think. Who we are is who God knows us to be. Who I really am, you know me. I am yours, O oh God. When this is my identity, when I truly live with this in view, I am the closest I can be, this side of heaven, to be exactly who I was created to be. I am God's. He knows me. And he has invited me to know him and to know myself.